So again, Mark Harrington is founder and president of Created Equal, a pro-life education and outreach organization based in Columbus, Ohio. Mark travels to universities across the nation to inspire young apologists, mentor future leaders, and introduce cutting-edge technology to the pro-life effort. Prior to launching Created Equal, from 1999 to 2011, Mark served as executive director of the Midwest Office of the Center for Bioethical Reform and president of the Pro-Life Institute. Is that Brad Mattis organization? That's Life Institute, okay. Where he led the Genocide Awareness Project on college campuses. Mark has been seen advocating for the preborn in national media, both newsprint, including USA Today and television, such as CBS's Good Morning. Mark hosts Activist Radio, the Mark Harrington Show, on several Salem radio stations across America and WTTPFM here in Lima. Mark holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from the Ohio State University. That's right. And resides in Columbus, Ohio with his wife, Paula, and their four children. Make sure you give Mark Harrington a warm Calvary Chapel Lima welcome. Get out your Bible, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we'll begin in verse 25. And what I'd like to do today is lay out a biblical foundation for why we need to speak up for the preborn. And uh, Luke chapter 10, again, verse 25 is where we'll begin. Well, this will be a very basic understanding. I know that Mike spends time with you folks probably informing you about this issue. I obviously can't go into detail this morning, but this passage, this story, not only was written for Jesus' contemporaries, but I often think Jesus had us in mind in 21st century America. Is it dealing with the abortion holocaust? So we're going to talk about this today. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, all the way through 37. So let me begin by reading verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, 
and saw him pass by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Go and do the same. So here we have this, the beginning of a story where Jesus has this interchange with a lawyer. We see that starting in verse 25 and finishing in verse 29. Now, of course, this isn't a lawyer in the sense that we think of about today, a trial lawyer or something of that nature. This person was a scholar, right? Biblical scholar, Old Testament scholar, and he was an expert in the law. And he came to test Jesus. And he asked the question, Who is my neighbor? Who is Jesus asked, Who is my neighbor? Now, if you look at this, this man basically summarized, or Jesus ends up summarizing the Ten, Command, or the Ten Commandments. When he asked, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, think about that. I mean, this is the softball evangelical question, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't get that one very often. <laughs> I wish I did. But Jesus got this question asked to him. How do I inherit eternal life? Isn't it interesting how Christ answered this? I think many of us would answer it very differently, wouldn't we? We'd probably say, well, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. You need to repent. Receive Jesus as Lord, and he'll forgive you of your sins, and you'll live eternally. That's often how we would answer that, right? I'm not saying that's wrong, necessarily. But isn't it interesting how Jesus answered the question? He said, you'll love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So basically, what was Jesus doing? here. What was he doing? He was summarizing the law of God, basically, right? We understand that. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, right? Loving God. And the next six deal with our relationship in loving our neighbor, right? So he was summarizing the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Do you want to inherit eternal life? Jesus basically said, love God and love your neighbor. Keep the law, right? Keep the law. He was summarizing the Ten Commandments. He wasn't adding to them. He wasn't saying, now there are two more, you know, that we have, we had ten, now we have two more. No, he was summarizing the Ten Commandments. And what does the lawyer say? 
after that. And wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Now, isn't this typical of lawyers? I mean, you think about them today and back then, of course. They were coming to Jesus to test him. They really didn't want to find out the answer, did they? They were trying to trip him up, which was often the case, was it not? When the religious leaders came to Christ, most often they tried to trip him up. They tried to test him and make him stumble so they could catch him in a technicality. No difference here. This lawyer was not interested in the answer, really. He was trying to trip up our Lord. He's saying, but wait a minute. But who, who is my neighbor? Trying to get off the hook. Any good lawyer, that's what they do, right? <laughs> you get in trouble, you hire them. Of course, this isn't the same type of lawyer that we're dealing with here in this passage. But what are lawyers there for? They get us off the hook. They find technicalities. That was the same here. This lawyer, or an Old Testament scholar, whatever, how you want to look at it, was trying to come up with a technicality as to why he did not have to follow the law to love God and love your neighbor. That's why he asked, but who's my neighbor? And we could think about that too. You know, We could say, well, who's my neighbor really too? Is that the person that lives next to me? Um, lives in my town? And today, you know, is that a Facebook friend of mine? Yeah. <laughs> we can find ways too to also not answer this question. Who's my neighbor? So trying to justify himself he asked the question, who's my neighbor? Now, it's interesting. All the times when you see Jesus being tested by religious leaders, he knew that. He knew they weren't coming to him with an honest question, right? But if you notice, he still answered it. He took them at their word, so to speak. And he answered the question. And so he launches into this story. We call it the Good, Good Samaritan parable. The story of the Good Samaritan. To answer the question, who's my neighbor? And so let's read that, starting in verse 30 again. So he's answering the question. Jesus replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and, and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so what we have here, and I won't read it again, but what we have here are basically four characters that Jesus talks about in this story. Four characters that he shares about. This is the story of this beating victim, right? And the reactions to them coming upon him on the road. And so we have four characters, and I'd like to talk about each one of them individually. And what we're going to do is try to kind of extrapolate or at least project forward the reactions of those four people to the way that people react today to the preborn. Okay? So, verse 30. Again, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. All right, here's our first character. A certain man. 
He remains nameless, if you notice. He's not given a title of any kind or whatsoever. Because if you give this person a name, that dignifies them. And so it is with all victims, generally. We don't consider them people often. We blame them for some one reason or another, don't we, often. They must have done something to deserve their fate. And so it is with this story. The certain man remains nameless. And as it is today, if you think about our pre-born neighbors, they'll never have a name. Why? Because they never were born. They'll never have a birthday. And they'll never be named. They remain nameless. And as long as they do, they're easily to forget about, to neglect, to abandon. And so it is with victims generally, right? We don't treat them like real people often. And so it is with the preborn. So this certain man, just as it is today with the preborn, remains anonymous. The preborn actually have a worse fate than this individual because they end up getting killed most of the time. And not only killed, but they get thrown in a dumpster or, or taken away as what we call medical waste today. That's what happens to the preborn. So the certain man remains nameless, just as the preborn do. Now, if we look in 31, it says, By chance, a certain priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, here we have this second individual who comes past the beating victim, sees him, which is important, you're going to understand that in a minute, sees him, but passes by on the other side. Now, he's a religious guy, the priest, right? Now, more than likely, he looked at the beating victim and thought, whoa, you know, I, I'm, I'm against that. <laughs> but I'm busy. I got other things to do. I got religious stuff to do. Maybe he was going to lead a prayer meeting that day or something. In fact, he might even have prayed for that beating victim, but he didn't stop and assist the beating victim. He passed by on the other side. And so it is today with the pre-born and the, con- the contemporary beating victim of this story. And that is, there are a lot of religious people who claim Christ even, who will simply just pass by on the other side every single day, realizing in their minds they know this is happening, but are unwilling to do anything about it. And that's the problem. There are people who are leading churches all across America who are simply neglecting the contemporary beating victim, which are the pre-born. And they might be a pro-life church in, in the sense that they do pro-life Things and they might support pro-life ministry. But they're unwilling to change the way they behave long-term in order to serve the beating victim. And we're going to get to that in a minute when we talk about the Good Samaritan. So we have the second individual, the priest, who saw him 
but passed by the other side. Now, this, this guy, keep in mind, probably has the right, he has the head knowledge. In other words, he's probably attitudinally against people getting beat up and left in a ditch, but he's not behaviorally. See, there's a difference. We can be right in our thinking, but that's cold comfort to the beating victim, or in this case, the preborn. It really doesn't matter, does it, to them, if we think it's wrong, unless we're willing to do something about it. The priest wasn't willing to do anything about it. That's why he passed by on the other side. Now, the third individual, the Levite, let's read about him. That's in verse 32. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came upon the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here we have another religious person doing much of the same thing. Now, this individual might tell people to give to the poor and help out people who are in bad condition, the downtrodden, and so forth. But once again, he didn't change his behavior that day. Then let's look at verse 33. Verse 33, the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him, and put him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and told him to take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, the Samaritan, the fourth character in this story. He's a non-religious guy. And they were considered the outcasts of that that culture, right? The dregs, if you will. When he saw the beating victim, he reacted very differently than the other two. Now, what I'd like to do, I'm going to draw out for you five actions that the Samaritan took that made him the good neighbor, when Jesus was talking about this story, answering the question, who is my neighbor? He was thinking about the Samaritan and what the Samaritan did to qualify himself as a good neighbor. And there are five actions he's, he took, and I'll call them the five S's. Okay, the five S's if you're taking notes. The first thing he did, the Samaritan, is that he sympathized with the beating victim. The second thing he did is he suspended his plans, not just that day, but into the future he changed his life because of what was happening. Number three, he served the beating victim. Number four, he shared the burden of the beating victim. And then number five, he supported the beating victim. All right? So let's look at these in order. Verse 33, he sympathized with the beating victim. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion on him. This was the first thing that happened. The reaction of the Samaritan to what he saw. When he gazed upon the beating victim, something happened inside him. He felt compassion. He felt compassion. And that's the first thing that has to happen. 
when it comes to the contemporary beating victim, the preborn. We should be brokenhearted over this, as the Samaritan was. Something emotionally happened inside. He was broken. And that's what's lacking today, you see. We're not brokenhearted over this Holocaust. We don't feel compassion for them very often. You know, we discount emotion a lot in this culture and say, oh, you know, it shouldn't be regarded. No, no. It's the first thing that should happen with us. Something should happen inside, right here in our hearts. When we think about what's happening in this nation, now 46 years, 60 million dead. 60 million. I mean, the number, you can't even fathom it. It, It's not possible to even consider in our minds what this means to a country. Something's got to happen. Individual babies every day and future generations. If you extrapolate that out, how many children and children's children and have, are not with us anymore or are not with us at all, we should feel something inside about that. That was the first thing the Samaritan did. If you're not brokenhearted over the preborn, there's something wrong inside. So the Samaritan felt compassion for the beating victim. Number two, the Samaritan suspended his plans to minister to the beating victim. Verse 34. And it says, he saw him, felt compassion, and came to him, and came to him. So here's the deal, right? The the beating victim on the side of the road. Priest and Levite saw him, but just kept on going. The difference between them and the Samaritan is that first he felt compassion, but he came upon him, all right? So the other people were walking, and they just kept going, but the Samaritan, when he was walking by, saw him, stopped what he was doing, turned, and came to him. He came to him. He approached him. Now think about that. The Samaritans were not, you know, (laughs) the beating victim, he was in the ditch. It'd be easy just to walk by and say, you know, you know, I got more important things to do. But he stopped what he was doing that day and came to him. See, Christianity should look a whole lot different in a country that kills its babies. Each of us should stop what we're doing and come to them. Things are different in a nation that kills its babies. So he suspended his plans. He came to him, changed his direction, and interrupted his life because of what he saw. So we have the... Samaritan sympathized with the beating victim, suspended his plans to minister to the beating victim, and number three, served the beating victim. Verse 34 again, it came to him and bandaged up his wounds. So once again, he's walking, he stops, he sees him, he stops, he turns to him, comes to him and bandages up his wounds, okay? Now, that 
requires at some level that he gets in the ditch with him, right? Bloody, dirty, muddy, who knows what. He got down in the ditch and ministered to him, bandaged up his wounds. If you could imagine what that might have done to him, he's probably covered with all the other gross, whatever, right? But he ministered to the beating victim. He served the beating victim. And so it is with us. The beating victim, the preborn, and some mothers and parents who are victims as well. Some are, some are not. They know what they're doing. But that's why we have pregnancy resource centers. That's why we have people ministering to the needs, not only of the children, but the women and the mothers and the parents. We need to serve the contemporary beating victim, which is the preborn. And this is where the gospel comes in as well, right? The reason why we don't see our pulpits on fire on the preaching of, uh, against abortion generally is, and this is my good friend uh, Michael uh, Spencer, who's with Life Training Institute, said this. The reason why churches don't speak on abortion generally is they either think abortion's not that bad or the gospel's not that good. Now think about that. They either believe that abortion's not that bad or the gospel's not that good. One of the two, or both. Because if you don't think abortion's that bad, you're not going to speak out against it. It just doesn't matter to you. And if you don't think the gospel is that good, right, to provide forgiveness for those who have participated in abortion, directly or indirectly, complicit or complacent, you're not going to preach on it either. So it's one of those two reasons why the church is not speaking on this. They believe the abortion is not that bad or the gospel is not that good. And so it is our responsibility to serve the beating victim by preaching the gospel, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, that is for the survivors, those victims, those other victims, women and men, parents, who have killed their babies or have been part of it in one way or the other. So, here we have the, 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 the Samaritans sympathized with the beating victim, suspended the plans, the minister of the beating victim, served the beating victim, and then 34, shared the burden of the beating victim. Bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Here again we have the picture. Samaritan walking down the road, looked over, saw him, stopped what he was doing, came to him, bandaged up his wounds, took care of him, poured oil and wine on him, and then what? Put him on his own beast. That means he had a beast, right? He got off the beast. That means he got down into the ditch after abandoning Junior and taking care of him, and he put him, he put put that beating victim on his own. He had to probably put him on his back or shoulder, right? So he's in the think of just picture it. He puts him uh, Yeah. Puts him on his back. 
takes him over to his own beast and throws him on his own beast. He gives up his own beast, carries the burden of the beating victim. And so it is with us, or should be. Every single day, one level or another, some point during the day, we should share in the burdens of the contemporary beating victim, the preborn. It should just be part of our makeup as believers in Christ. This is something we should be carrying with us every day and going to prayer about it. So it says that he took the burden upon himself. He put it on his own beast. The Bible says that we should bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, right? That's what we're supposed to do as believers. And that's what we should be doing to our preborn neighbors. Now, finally, in verse 35, he supported the beating victim. Verse 35. And on the next day, he took up two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So, again, here it is. Walking down the road, looks to the side, stops, comes to him, bandages him up his wounds, pours oil and wine on him, takes him on his own back, bears his burden, puts him on his own beast, takes him to the inn. Presumably, the innkeeper takes him in and he says, and when I return, I will repay you. This wasn't a one-time thing for the Samaritan. It wasn't just that day. He just didn't do it one day and then he's done, right? This was a lifestyle change for him. What happened that day when he saw that beating victim changed everything for him going forward. His life was different now, and as it should be with us. Our lives should look very different living in a nation that kills its children at the numbers that we do. And it should be a long-term commitment, not a one-time thing. Not saying that, you know, doing it here and there as much as we can for sure. I go to the March for Life every year. We don't go to March, even though I think that's fine. We actually go to reach the marchers. We use a jumbotron screen that shows abortion victims to all the hundreds of thousands of marchers that go to Washington, D.C. every single year to reach them. Now, there are a lot of marchers that go once a year, and that's all they do. They go home, and they don't do another thing the rest of the year. I tell you, it ain't going to get it done. We have to commit long term. Our lives should look very, very different because of abortion before the killing of the unborn. And so it was with the Samaritan. And when I return, I shall repay you. This, this, he was changed forever. And it was financial. Isn't that interesting? There was money was involved. I'll just say this. If you're not supporting pro-life ministry, you need to be at some level or another. It doesn't have to be us. It could be somebody. We've got ministry. You mentioned Vanny... Uh, working for us and others around the country, doing good work, you should be supporting pro-life ministry if you're not. So, there we go. The Samaritan sympathized with the beating victim, suspended his plans to minister to the beating victim, served the beating victim, shared the burden of the beating victim, and supported the beating victim. And these are the things that we need to be doing
when it comes to our preborn victims. Now, there are two points to this parable in summary. The first is that injustice must be seen to be understood. All three of these folks, the priest, the Levite, and Samaritan, all saw him. All saw him. If it weren't for them seeing them in the ditch, seeing the beating victim in the ditch, it might have been a totally different situation. Injustice must be seen to be understood. Right? We live in a visual culture today like never before. We don't get our information through the written word as we used to. It's all visually. And if you think about social reform generally, whether it be civil rights or anti-war movements, Victim images, victim video is the way that is how the culture was educated. Now, what I'd like to do is I'm going to show you the contemporary beating victim right now. And we're going to play a video, actually two. The first video is of the preborn in the womb. This is a video created by the Endowment for Human Development. It's actually National Geographic owns this video now. And if any of you have had children or you have grandchildren, (laughs) you've seen the ultrasounds, right? Uh, America is without excuse, folks. I mean, with what we're available now with the technology to see the preborn. So what I'd like to do is cue up the uh, this this video. It's the preborn one. It's not the abortion one. And I'd like to play you uh, that video so you can get an idea of this is the beating victim. It has sound to it, if you know, if you can do that. So this is a, a preborn baby at six weeks gestation. Mm-mm. What's playing? There's no sound. The embryo begins to make spontaneous and reflexive movements. There you go. Such movement is necessary to promote normal neuromuscular development. A touch to the mouth area causes the embryo to reflexively withdraw its head. The external ear is beginning to take shape. By six weeks, blood cell formation is underway in the liver, where lymphocytes are now present. This type of white blood cell is a key part of the developing immune system. The diaphragm, the primary muscle used in breathing, is largely formed by six weeks. A portion of the intestine now protrudes temporarily into the umbilical cord. This normal process, called physiologic herniation, makes room for other developing organs in the abdomen. At six weeks, the hand plates develop a subtle flattening. Primitive brain waves have been recorded as early as six weeks and two days. Nipples appear along the sides of the trunk shortly before reaching their final location on the front of the chest. By six and a half weeks, the elbows are distinct. 
the fingers are beginning to separate and hand movement can be seen. Bone formation. All right, so there you go. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, our God is a wonderful God, isn't he? I mean, the, the Bible is clear. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an amazing, amazing thing. In six weeks, if we can, it's just incredible. We are made in the image of God. Um, now, that video, as good as it is, teaches that the preborn are human, which is important, of course. We need to understand that. Uh, how many people have heard of the heartbeat bill that's happening down at the state house? I'll just digress for a moment. Uh, you saw the heartbeat. Isn't that amazing? Six weeks. There's a bill in the Ohio State House, which has now taken eight years. I started with this thing in 2011 with Janet Porter from Faith to Action. Introduced a bill that would, would outlaw abortion at the detectable heartbeat. Heartbeat begin, it can be detectable at around six weeks, even though the heart begins to beat around 18 days, actually. But, of course, women are not, don't know they're pregnant until after you know, four or five weeks anyway. So uh, this law will, will outlaw abortion at the detection of a heartbeat. And that is making its way through the Ohio House right now. It made it through the Senate last week. We have a hearing on Tuesday for proponent testimony. I'll be testifying on behalf of that. Once it goes through the Ohio House, it'll go back to the Senate for reconciliation and then be signed by Governor DeWine. So we are on the forefront in, in Ohio. It has always been and will always be, as far as I can tell, at the forefront of this battle. For some reason, God has said, Ohio is always going to be at the heart of this. Uh, and the heartbeat bill is one of the things that is happening. 13 states have either introduced it or passed it, and it's sweeping across the nation, and so in part because the changing makeup of the United States Supreme Court, as we all know. Uh, President Trump has been able to put a couple of justices on the Supreme Court, and hopefully more. Uh, I've been sending retirement brochures to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for about 20 years. I don't, she must not be, I'm sorry, <laughs> she must not be getting my mail. I uh, it's a nice place in, in, in you know, South Florida, actually. Um, so anyway, we're hoping that uh, this will continue to change the climate here in Ohio and across America. Uh, something's happening. Despite all of the bad news we see in the culture, there is a move right now on this issue. Americans are starting to wake up. Um, and it, not to go further on this, but if we all know we were watching what happened in New York with this, you know, Governor Cuomo signing into law late-term abortion. Abortion up to the time of very birth. I mean, think about that. And then Governor Northup in, uh, in Virginia, who was caught on tape basically saying if a, a, a child survived an abortion attempt, uh, that it would be up to the mother as to whether we should resuscitate or give medical care to that child. Of course, that started a firestorm uh, across America, and it continues to this day. And uh, has, has woken, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Christians and others around the country are waking up to the Holocaust because of this kind of thing. I pray we don't go back to sleep. I mean, this is, it's too bad that something like that has to get us uh, aware of what's going on. But God uses, you know, whatever he can. So keep in prayer. Uh, the Ohio heartbeat bill will be uh, going through the Ohio House within ho hopefully a month or so. We might see this signed into law. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Big deal. So.
All right. So injustice must be seen to be understood. Seen is believing. We understand that today uh, more than ever. Now, as important as it is to see preborn babies, and we understand the humanity of the preborn, it's not enough. It's important, but it's not sufficient. Right? We don't teach people about the Holocaust by showing Jewish families at a bar mitzvah. It's, I mean, it might be part of the discussion. But we teach people about the Holocaust by showing the death camps. And so it is with abortion. Now, what I'm going to play for you is a, a, a clip, a very short clip of abortion in progress and afterwards. Now, if you choose to look away, that is your, up to you as well. I mean, uh, obviously, and if there are parent, parents with small children or children in the room that would choose not to show that to them, that's obviously your prerogative to do so. But I will ask you to watch. If you've not seen anything like this, you need to see it. And if you've seen it before, you've got to see it again. You've got to be keep reminded of what's going on. It's very, very disturbing. But this is what's happening every single day in America. And Planned Parenthood and all the rest of the abortion groups are doing everything they can to hide what's going on. One thing we do at Created Equal is we will not allow that to happen. So what I'd like to do for you now is to play the next video. This is a video clip, short one, about 60 seconds of abortion. important for me to say that if there's anyone in the, in the church this morning that has either participated directly or indirectly, you need to know that this is not the unforgivable sin, okay? The gospel is good enough to forgive. And for those of you that know folks that have been involved one way or the other, directly, indirectly, at some level, um, we have a Savior, his name's Jesus Christ, and he is willing and able and welcoming people to come to him and seek forgiveness for this sin. So that's important that uh, we all know that. Now, so injustice must be seen to be understood. Americans need to see what abortion is and does. And if you can watch that and, and not be broken inside, uh, frankly, there's something not right here. Uh, we've lost our ability to feel shame and guilt. And I think it, it's necessary, as it was with the Samaritan, to feel compassion for the pre preborn. So, number one is injustice must be seen to be understood. 
Number two, feeling compassion is different than showing compassion. Feeling compassion is different than showing compassion. It was important that the Samaritan felt compassion, but he went beyond that. He showed it. Feeling compassion is different than that, than showing compassion. Or feeling pity is different than showing pity. Showing pity is action. So the, the beginning is the feeling, but the, the more important thing is the showing. And so we need to be part of the showing. And I've given you a couple things that we can be doing. First of all, life is different. You need to spend what you're doing, at least at some level, and recognize the Holocaust. Serve the beating victim, share their burdens in prayer at least, at minimum, and support pro-life ministry. They all saw the beating victim, but only one showed pity for the beating victim. So, now... In conclusion, I'll ask this question. Are you the priest or Levite, or are you the Samaritan? And the, the answer to that will be based on your heart condition. Where are you when it comes to others, and especially when it comes to the preborn? If you would, let's turn to First John chapter. 4 verse 20. First John chapter 4 verse 20. And this verse talks about, or this whole section talks about loving God. Now I'll conclude with this. Um, well, I don't, hang on, I, well, I do want to show one more video, but let, let, let's look at this. First John chapter 4 verse 20. It says this, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen. There it is again. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is the litmus test. If you say you love God, whom you have not seen, but you treat your brothers, who you have seen, with, without love, anger, impatience, all that, then you cannot claim to love God. That's what this verse is saying. You know, there's all kinds of implications here, of course, but let's just apply to the preborn. If you say you love God, whom you have not seen, but neglect the preborn, whom you have now seen, and now are responsible for seeing them, just as the Samaritan was. You cannot claim to love God. That's what the scripture says. Future generations are going to look back at us and wonder what the heck we were, what were we doing in the American Holocaust? Let me read a uh, passage. This is from, I um, hope I can find it. Francis Schaeffer, a great theologian of the 20th, 20th century, last century, said this. 
If in the last part of the 20th century, the Christian community does not take a prolonged and vocal stand for the dignity of the individual and each person's right to life, we have failed the greatest moral test to be put before us this century. He's talking about the 20th century. Future generations will look back and many will either scoff at us or believe in Christ on the basis of whether we Christians of today took a sacrificial stand in our various walks of life on these overwhelmingly important issues. If we do not take a stand here and now, we certainly cannot lay claim to being the salt and the light of the earth in our generation. He is spot on. He is spot on. If you say you love God, whom you have not seen, but you neglect your neighbor, your preborn neighbor, whom you now have seen, you cannot lay claims to loving Christ. Now, and future generations are going to look back at us, just as we look at Germany. You know, we look at, we, oh, wait, how could that have, oh, that could, how could that have ever happened? We look at, the, in condemnation, as we should, for much of the German church, except for the confessing church, and we wonder, what in the world were they doing? What were they thinking? They knew what was going on. Hold on a minute. Let's look in the mirror. We're going to have a lot to answer for. What were we doing in the American Holocaust in, America, in this country? What were we doing? You certainly can't look at Germany and condemn them for what they did. There's no question about it. At least the Jews could fight back. They have no means to do that at all. They, all they have is us. So, in conclusion, there is a litmus test for loving God. Loving your neighbor is an indication of whether you love God or not. And now you've seen, and if you love God, you're going to love your brother and your sister and your preborn neighbor. Now, you might be thinking, what can I do about this? What can I do? Before we do that, let me digress for a moment, and then we'll finish. I say that. I keep saying that. Uh, I want to play a couple video clips here. You might wonder, what do you do at Create Equal? Well, as, as, as Pastor Mike said, we train the next generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win. Because winning is how the killing stops. This is, you know, this isn't just about doing, you know, even though we're, we want to be faithful, we're, we're being faithful, we want to win. Because that's how the killing stops. So we believe that we have to raise up the next generation. We go to college and high school campuses all across America. I train young people in pro-life apologetics and how to preach the gospel on these different venues. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to show you two video clips. Bear with us here. I think you'll enjoy these. Well, at some level. <laughs> uh, one of them is at the Women's March. Uh, that was started after the inauguration of, uh, of, of Donald Trump two years ago. Is it two years? Yeah. You know, this national march of uh, uh, pro-abortion uh, women on the mall. And this year, again, we went to Washington, D.C. to be the countervailing position, you know, <laughs> that true feminists don't kill babies. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's just, that just that doesn't go together. And so that's what we did. And I just want you to listen to this. A young woman who we're part of our group is cha- trained interfacing 
with some other folks who disagree, and just you'll just see what we're up against. This is the one the women's march, if you would. You're so young, and you're, you're so brainwashed. You know, you're so brainwashed. You're not even educated yet. Why are you? Why, why not? I know you. I'm a PhD. Okay. okay. You, you, you guys are so friggin' brainwashed. You have not. You don't know what you're talking about. In what way? In what way? In what? Every way. You're probably a Jesus freak too. Okay. You're can I, can I give you my person. argument against abortion? I don't abortion? need to argue. I don't want to hear it. I don't want. I'm not. I'm 65 years old. So you have a PhD, grew, grew, but you're not open to I, open not dialogue to, about it. Crap. Why not? Who would you dialogue with, sir? I don't need a dialogue to, to deal with some stupid people. I am educated. This is why I'm against it. No, you're not educated. Neither are you. You guys are not educated. So why, why would you do, you, do you, do you support a right to abortion? I, I support, actually, you might be a good ex example of why we should have abortion if you deal with this stuff, okay? Wait a minute. That's a pretty no, hateful, that's a pretty hateful thing to say, it. sir. Stop it! I just think you guys are so young. This is a false. This is false. This is a real image. No, this is this is so graphic to make. Yeah, yeah, you're making it. You're, you're, it's all propaganda. I believe it's propaganda. It's all Women propaganda. It's all yeah. propaganda. But educate yourself. Educate yourself. There are so many important issues happening right now. And now, and now you. No. What do you do for a living? I mean, yeah. What do you do for a living? I'm a pro-life activist. I know, but how do you get That's paid? What you do for how do you get paid? Oh, a missionary. A missionary. Who pays your salary? Who pays your salary? That's your job. Where do you get? Who, who pays your salary? Oh my God! Who do you do for a living? I get to stand up against injustice. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. This I'm is not. I can understand if you do it on the side. But you really need to go to college and yeah, you need to go to college. What's your degree what, in? What do you do? Political science. Do you have any math and science background? Do you have a math and science background? Yeah. I've taken Probably math not. Have you ever taken any math or science? Yeah, yeah. So, so, come on. Let's get going. Let's get going. Good luck to you guys. You know, it's funny how every, people come up with, oh, well, the, you know, there's all these other atrocities. Let's focus on those. When the ones right in front of us, I mean, the numbers are staggering. And yet we want to just walk by on the other side. It's interesting that people that don't like what we do want to tell us to do something else. <laughs> Why is that? Because you can see they were bothered by that whole thing. It wasn't just the picture, although that did a lot of it. It was the fact that young people were standing up for what they believed. And that puts fear in the heart of our enemies. It does. Because I tell you what, they aren't getting it done on that end of things. They're just not. So our goal is to build that next generation because this is a long fight. But we all understand this, right? It's all about passing the baton to the next generation and raising up leaders because culture, that politics is downstream from culture. We've got to change culture before we change politics. They have to be working together, but that's why we raise up this next generation of leadership, right? To take on the culture of death and win because winning is how the killing ends. Now, one more. You probably were very frustrated watching that. <laughs> now let's, let's play one where we actually, and this happens once, once a week we're releasing videos of, of changed minds. That is where 
you know, we have an interaction with a student on a college campus or high school, and they actually change their mind right and before our eyes. So let's go ahead and play that clip. This is one of our staff or volunteers having an interaction with uh, a student. Uh, I believe it's on a high school campus. What do you think about abortion? What are your thoughts on abortion? What do you think about abortion? What do you think uh -oh. about abortion? What are your thoughts on abortion? I think it's okay. It's not working. Do whatever they want. Might have a what do you think about abortion? What are your thoughts on abortion? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about abortion? What are your thoughts on abortion? Uh -oh. I think it's okay. not working. Oh, that's too bad. I, ex I accept it, honestly. But like, I feel like maybe it could be the best option. I yeah, am pro choice. You know, I didn't test that one on my flash drive. I think it should be in the choice of, you know, whoever the female is. Yeah, we're not going to get it. All right. Well, sorry about that. Here's the deal. Go to our YouTube page. Okay. Just go to Create Equal. Uh, YouTube. If you want to watch videos, we have an entire playlist of Changed Minds. And each week, we send out a new one. Uh, we had 209 Changed Minds in 24 or, or 25 hours just two weeks ago when we took our young people down to Florida as part of our justice ride. Think about that. If you could just get this going all across America, it would look a lot different, wouldn't it? Um, and that's our issue, right? It's always, no, do we have enough to get it out in front of enough people? It'll always be the case. But uh, we're having a huge impact, and it's because of the use of the photos and well-trained people who know how to introduce this subject in a way that's winsome, that's respectful, uh, being ambassadors for Christ and the gospel. And we're seeing this changing all over the country. I can tell you this, the other side does not have it together. In fact, NARAL, the uh, National Abortion Right, actually, the president just a while back said that the intensity on our side with our young people is way above the intensity on their side with their young people. And she called it the intensity gap. And so it is with what we're doing. So, um, so when I say, what, what could you do? What can you do? The first thing is if you have young people, send them our way. We have something called the Justice Ride. It's our premier training project. We send uh, a group of people. We charter a bus. We take them to Florida, or we do, do it in the summer here in Ohio or the West Coast. And it's a training program in that we, we spend some time in the classroom. So we get the, you know, the formal training, and then we take them out to the campuses each day and train them on the bus. And it's just an entire week where they are just immersed in this kind of information. And if you have young people that are interested in this, just let me know. You can go to justiceride.org, justiceride.org. It's patterned off of the notion of the freedom rides in that in the 1960s, in the civil rights movement, young people, some of them even dropped out of college to ride buses that were segregated in the South. And the reactions of racists in the South brought this to the attention of the American people. And it changed America. I mean, it simply did. And that, that whole idea of synergy, getting people together uh, with a like cause and like mind uh, is what young people are looking for today. They are. They're looking for a cause. We're just not giving them one, unfortunately. But we are at Created Equal. So the justice right is something you can uh, be, be uh, thinking about, either referring people to us uh, that you know. Um, the other thing is just politically speaking, you're in the heart of it here in Ohio, so it'd be supportive of the heartbeat bill. Uh, be lobbying your legislators down there, both Senate and House, 
If you don't know who your state rep is, find out, you know, and find out who your state senator is and make sure you make phone calls to get that one done because that will be historic. Uh, that will be historic. That will sh send shockwaves across America because once that first domino drops, I think you're going to start seeing this across the country, which could be a frontal attack on Roe versus Wade, which is what we're looking at. Hopefully uh, that's going to happen very soon. So um, with that in mind, let me finish in prayer, if you don't mind. And then if you would like to speak to me afterward, I'd be happy to, to share with you what you, you know, more of what you might want to do. Take our packet, if you would. There's good information in there. Um, there's also a couple of books if you wanted to kind of hone your skills on this issue. You can read this one of the books by my good friend Scott Klusendorf. It's called Stand for Life. Uh, basically goes through the arguments on how to do this. And the thing is, you're going to run into folks, either pro-choice or might be even considering abortion eventually at some point, and you need to know how uh, to, to argue that. And there's great information in the book, just stuff online. You go to our website. You know, the, you, there is no reason why you can't have basic understanding of how to be able to, to talk to people about this as you go about your business every day. So let me finish in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to represent you the way that you've given us in this world. Lord, our, our nation uh, is crying out for judgment. We ask for mercy. We pray, Lord, that what we deserve is your hand of wrath for the killing of unborn children for 46 years. But yet, for some reason, you have not brought that. And your mercy has, has prevailed to this point. Pray, Lord, that there will come a day soon that America will be free of this scourge, of the shedding of innocent blood. We pray for our legislators right now in the State House in Columbus that they would push this bill through and we would see almost in a complete end to abortion in our state. We thank you for the leadership down there and the leadership of Janet Porter, who has spearheaded this thing for the last eight years. We pray for our president as well, Lord, and continue to ask that you give him the words to speak on behalf of the preborn, Lord. We thank you for his commitment. But we understand, Lord, that the real issue is with us, as you lay out in your word today about the Good Samaritan and the reactions he had to the beating victim. Let us take those things to heart as we go about our daily lives, that we, there would not be a day where we would not wake up and think about the preborn, that we'd come to you in prayer and ask, what can we do? And we'd ask for divine opportunities to serve those who are being victimized by this horrible atrocity. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for our involvement or lack thereof in the scourge of abortion. Bring healing to our land. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you very much.